people come to me to talk about sex because I love doing it. Move that way a little bit and I'll insert right there. And not everyone that comes to me is psycho or crazy. Kink, polyamory, sexual functioning. Are you having trouble in the bedroom? Do you not know what to do? Well, tune in. You're going to find out. So welcome my lovely guest and special co-host Gordon and our listeners to Let's Talk Sex podcast. We're moving away from sex today and going to family law. Uh, Gordon is a licensed professional counselor here in Atlanta and I work closely with him on clients. Gordon, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm an LPC and I see mostly males in individual practice. Uh, I help them with their relationships, their work, and their studies. Uh, I spend a lot of time with males that may consider themselves geeky or fans. They may identify with being on the autistic spectrum. And again, that adds extra challenges when they're trying to socialize or trying to move forward in their career or their uh, academic life. Uh, and that's where I've spent years of time helping them get better at those areas. And you're so good at what you do. I appreciate you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> and our special guest, uh, Brooke. Uh, French. She is a local family law attorney. Brooke, tell us about you and where we can find you here in Atlanta. I am. First, I want to thank you all for having me here. I just really appreciate the opportunity and um, I enjoy talking about family law, so I'm glad to share my knowledge with you. Um, I am Brooke French. I practice at Kessler and Solomiani, and we are a family law firm. We practice our offices downtown, but we also have an office in Sandy Springs. And um, our firm has been around for 25 years, and we have 12 family law lawyers, and all we do is family law. So family law all day, every day. Well, I appreciate you as well, because I know you've helped a few of my clients, um, and law is not an area that I am uh, familiar with, but I am definitely learning as I continue working with clients and relationships. So thank you for coming, and I'm excited uh, to get started. But first, listeners... Please remember that this information in the podcast is not legal advice for you uh, or at all. Please consult with a local attorney regarding any of your needs um, and your own state's laws. Most of the laws that we'll be talking about probably pertain mainly to Georgia, though they could change at any moment as well. So again, even if you're in Georgia, please consult with your own attorney uh, for your needs. All right. So I found this awesome article. Um, Conveniently, it popped up on my Facebook newsfeed right before you know our our podcast and it's written by the smithsonian.com of all places on the history of divorce and some information i didn't know um including that well it does say that most marriages nowadays or it's a 50 50 chance first marriage of lasting and most end up in divorce about 50 percent do and i know that second marriages tend to have a higher rate of divorce as well um brooke do you agree with that any I do agree with that. I think that um, once parties go through a divorce and then they get into a second marriage, um, the statistics are that much higher that somebody in a second marriage is going to get divorced and it's that much higher in a third marriage is going to get divorced because a lot of people, um, in my opinion, when I see them, that first marriage and that first divorce is sort of the hardest. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, they're like, well, I've done this before, so it's not that hard to go through a divorce and they feel that they can handle it. Um, I had seen that the statistic of 50% was dropping a little bit for first marriages, which I hope is the case. Um, Because although I'm a divorce lawyer, I believe in marriage. I believe in the institution of marriage. Um, I think it can provide a lot of enjoyment for people. And so I hope that people have long and lasting marriages. And then if they don't, 
I'm glad to help them resolve it. Right. Um, but um, I think the trend is, it, it really does hover right around 50%, but I'm hoping that it's on the downward. And Gordon, I don't know about you, but I feel that more couples in their first marriage are getting therapy or premarital counseling before the marriage. And I, I mean, I am a relationship therapist, so I'm a little biased, but I do believe that helps prevent some divorce because you look at your own issues, you look at what you're bringing to the marriage and you can begin to work on that versus not working on it. And then it all blows up and it's just too hard to repair or not repairable. And then they end up calling Brooke for, for help or to dissolve that marriage. So any thoughts on your end? Well, premarital counseling is a great time. Uh, right before you make that commitment, it's a great time. Honestly, I think therapy is great in the formation of the relationship because when two people get together and they start being in relationships, he, he starts staying over, she starts staying over, and there's a lot of definition, there's a lot of uh, negotiation that has to happen, and if you didn't see that growing up, which probably you didn't because your parents were already established, then how are you going to learn that? Right. And so a, a good therapist can really help people know all their options, and so mm -hmm. I'm really glad to see couples when they come in and, and they're either they're early in the relationship, they're going to get married. I have colleagues that just do uh, mm -hmm. premarital counseling. It's called oh. Prepare and Rich. Yeah. If you uh, hit that keyword, mm -hmm. that's a good thing to look into. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you do yeah, prepare. I do that. I do that either with couples or some couples don't like that structure. So we'll just do our own open therapy and address the issues they want to uh, without that, you know, taking a test and having to go step by step. Um, I do both. So, and it's very helpful. Couples learn a lot about themselves and how to, you know, even get their own therapy uh, or, you know, how to improve that, the, the relationship. Well, so much of what we do, unfortunately, is we get people on the, on the back end where, you know, things have already unraveled and it's mm -hmm. already come to the point where they can't figure out how to get it back together. And I think that's, um, you know, why you and I work together is that, you know, I encourage my clients, all of my clients to get therapy for themselves and for their children if they're children, because mm -hmm. going through something like a divorce is so traumatic and people who get therapy from the get go, I think they have a better chance because mm -hmm. working through some of these issues, sometimes it just needs that neutral third party like Courtney or like Gordon who can talk to you and say, okay, well, look at this issue, it's snowballing, but if we started here, we can sort of nip that in the bud and not have it be this huge snowball issue. So right. you guys provide such a great service to couples, whether individually or together, to help them sort of avoid that path. And if people could understand that and sort of take some of the, unfortunately, there's still a negative stigma with therapy, if some mm -hmm. people could take that away and realize how helpful it can be, yeah. I mean, that just makes a world of difference for your marriage and your other relationships. Hey guys, it's your sex therapist, Michaela Black here. And I want to tell you guys about a wonderful lubricant that I personally love to use. It's called Aloe Cadabra. Aloe Cadabra is 100% natural and organic. The main ingredient is aloe. So it's soothing. It feels natural. It's wonderful. And they have all these different flavors. They have lavender. They have the coconut. They have peppermint made with essential oils. So if you guys are looking for a great lube, try out Aloe Cadabra at www.alocadabra.com. So something interesting this article wrote about that I kind of knew, but not in great detail, is that apparently divorce started with King Henry VIII when he could not get an annulment to his marriage with Catherine of Aragon because she could not bear him a child. So he created his own religion and church. 
and was able to again get an annulment. I thought it was a divorce, but it was not. Uh, to to he could marry Anne Boleyn. Of course, that marriage did not work, and poor Anne ended up losing her head as well. Um, and he did not divorce her, so he could not say he was a wife killer, according to this article, which I guess is true. They got an annulment, uh, but that is apparently where divorce began, and I didn't honestly know that. Brooke, I mean, do they teach you this in law school? You know, the history of divorce 101? <laughs> um, I'm going to say yes, but I can't tell you the specifics. No, a, a lot of law school is theory and history on mm-hmm. where a law started and how they evolved to get oh. to where they are today. Okay. Um, particularly where I went to law school, that's something that's very important so that you understand why the law is what it is today. Where did it start and how did it evolve, which is interesting okay. um, to a lot of folks. Um, to this book, but to a lot of folks, that's very interesting as to how it evolves. Okay, so that's good to know. So this article, um, again, talks about, apparently there was one divorce uh, in 1552. This was after King, or King Henry, even though he was in, had an annulment. In 1552. The next one then, this is in England, was in 1670. So it wasn't very uh, widespread back then. One, they were very expensive, like they can be today. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, they were frowned upon. And something that I found interesting that I think is, is a contrast from today and back then is that it says multiple studies, does not say which study, uh, but multiple studies have shown that women bear the brunt of the social and economic burdens that come with divorce. Um, and also back then, um, it sounds like a, a husband needed to prove, uh, I'm sorry, that only four of 324 cases back then were brought on by women. So it's easier for a man to ask for a divorce uh, versus women. Uh, husbands had to prove adultery only. Women had to prove adultery plus some other especially aggravating circumstance. However, the circumstances didn't necessarily have to be brutality, rape, desertion, or financial um, concerns. Those did not count. So I'm not really sure what would have been uh, another circumstance that was aggravating, except apparently in 1801, a Miss Jane Addison was able to earn a divorce from her husband after she could prove adultery and incest that he had with her sister in the marital home. So I guess that was a aggravating circumstance. Very interesting, I thought. Um, so different today that, you know, anyone here can file for divorce, to my knowledge. Yes. Um, Georgia used to be a state where you had to prove a reason for divorce like those, um, adultery, mm-hmm. alcoholism, abuse, cruelty. There are, there are 12 reasons for why you had to prove, um, you had to allege one of those 12 reasons and then prove that one okay. of those 12 reasons was true. And then you could be granted a divorce. Oh, wow. Thankfully, Georgia has now, <laughs> I know, right? We've expanded a little bit. Thankfully, now there's sort of a no-fault uh, provision that just says you can just allege my marriage is irretrievably broken, so I want mm-hmm. to divorce this person and not have to prove anything else. Right. You can just swear that the marriage is irretrievably oh. broken. Okay. So thankfully, Georgia added that because before, when you had to prove adultery, you had to allege the adultery, and then you had to mm-hmm. prove it. A lot of times, I mean, how do you prove mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Or you had to prove alcoholism, or you had to prove cruelty. I mean, that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. And then the court had the authority to say, no, we're not granting you the divorce because you didn't give enough evidence that this person is beating you repeatedly, so you have to stay married to him. 
Um, one thing that I thought was interesting in that article, which mm -hmm. I think is still true today, that women bear the, yeah. the brunt of the socio and economic um, of the divorce. I think mm -hmm. that's still true today. I mean, if you look at a man who's divorced, you're mm -hmm. like, oh, he's divorced, no big deal. You look at a woman who's divorced, you're like, oh, you know, what did she do wrong in the marriage yeah. or, or what is that? And, and I think it's getting a little bit more equal yeah. um, in that people aren't looking negatively upon women who are getting divorced. But I, I think that's probably true. And I so. wanted to get Gordon's opinion because I know you work mainly with men. Yes. And I want to say in a way I disagree with Brooke. And the reason why is personally and professionally, I work with a lot of men as well professionally. Personally, I, I know a lot of men. And I hear the opposite, that they get a lot of brunt in the economics where they're having to pay child support, alimony. So, Gordon, because you work only with men, right. what are you hearing in your practice? Well, I don't work with a lot of men that are divorced. I usually work with men that are trying to get relationships mm -hmm. or are in relationships and still trying to make it work okay. uh, with you know, a notable exception or two. But what I've read is men get very, very angry because the women are assumed to get custody and are assumed to get support. Yeah. And so the woman walks out with the lion's share of the resources and the lion's share of the alimony because she has to support the children. And I think it's just one of those things that no matter where you draw the line, both sides are going to feel slighted and both sides are going to be mm -hmm. angry. And uh, I can't, you know, honestly, I'm gnashing at the bit to go ahead and, and talk about the emotional dynamics of divorce. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Yeah. I it a little bit. Well, <laughs> I think the... the the alimony and child support piece, mm -hmm. understandably, no one wants to pay that. But what's interesting is um, it's a misconception, one, that, that women are the ones who get custody, and two, that child support is a large amount that mm -hmm. people are paying. So what's the difference between alimony and, and child support? Um, well, child support is a payment to, from one parent to another for okay. the support and maintenance of the children. Okay. And that payment lasts until the children reach the age of 18 or until they graduate from high school, whichever is later. So if okay. you had, if you were born, you know, September 10th and you turn 18, your child support goes until the day that you graduate from high school. Okay. Um, so that's a payment from one parent to another to support the children. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that if you looked at the amount of money that the state mandates for how much is paid in child support, it is not enough to support a child. Really? Um, yes. The, the the Georgia legislature came up with Georgia's an income shares model okay. in terms of figuring out child support. So they look at what mom makes. They look at what dad makes. They add those two together, and it comes up with a presumptive amount, a basic child support obligation. Mm -hmm. And that's based on how much money each person makes. Each person then has a percentage that's, that's their total. Mm -hmm. So um, it unfortunately is not a lot of money. And it is the same amount of money if you live in Buckhead or if you live in Macon or oh, if you wow. live in Nowheresville, Georgia. It's the same wow. amount. And so it doesn't take into account cost of living. It doesn't yeah. take into account how much you have to pay in rent. It doesn't wow. take into account... Um, how much you pay in taxes. It's kind of like my student loan repayment. They don't take into account all this other stuff I have to pay. So, right. Yeah. And so I understand the, the, the thought is there's all this money being paid in child support. But as a mom of two young children, I can tell you <laughs> that the cheap. amount that is paid is not even enough to cover, I mean, daycare, really. Yeah. And so it's tough. It's really tough okay. um, to, to 
I know to pay that out, but it's also tough to live on that amount. And so that's why I think the person who is receiving the child support and who has the kids the most time is certainly not in a good financial position, often not in a good financial position because it's, it's just not a lot of money. So you asked me what's the difference between child support and alimony. Child support is for the kids. Alimony is a payment from one spouse to the other to help that spouse get him or herself back on their feet. Okay. And so is it for women only? Nope. Oh, okay. No, it's it's typically from the moneyed spouse to the person who has less money. Okay. So, um, you know, if if the woman is an executive at Coke mm -hmm. and she makes $200,000 a year and the husband, um, you know, he works at AT&T and he makes $50,000 a year, okay. he may ask for alimony. Oh. And anybody can ask for alimony. Don't doesn't mean you're going to get it, but anybody right. can ask for it. And unlike child support where there's a worksheet and an Excel spreadsheet and a formula to figure out how much child support you get based okay. on income and how many children, um, alimony is totally, totally subjective. Oh, my word. So that could get ugly. It does. It's based <laughs> on the amount of you know, the years you've been married, um, if you guys have kids together, what your assets are, the reasons for why you're getting divorced. Um, there's this whole litany of factors that it's based on. And the judge could decide in one case, sure, you should get alimony for X number of years. In the okay. same case, the next day, the judge may decide, no, no alimony. So we want to make sure we get on the judge's good side or that he's, he's got on the good side, he or she got on the good side of the bed that day when we're going for alimony because we could get screwed if not, I think. Well, and that's what I try to tell people. And that's why, you know, some people say, well, I just want the judge to decide. And I said, I've been in court. Right. I've been in court where the judge is just in a foul mood because the judge is human, just like yeah. all of us. And the judge, you know, no, no, no you don't need it. And I've seen judges after the fact saying, oh, man, I was really hard on you that day. But, you know, oh, all these wow. other things. And so, I mean, they're human. Yeah. And they're like, man, I wish I had known this fact or that fact. And then that maybe would have changed something. Oh, wow. And so people don't realize that it may not be in your best interest to go and have a judge to determine hmm. if you should get alimony. So alimony, um, a couple other interesting facts mm -hmm. about alimony. It can be taxable to the person receiving it and oh. tax deductible to the person paying it. Oh, wow. So sometimes that's a good thing, whereas child support is not. Okay. Um, and alimony can be for a month or a year or a thousand years. Huh. And alimony can be one payment such that you make one really big payment to somebody okay. saying, here, here's 50000 there's your alimony. Mm -hmm. Or it can be a monthly stipend or a yearly stipend. Um, so there are all sorts of different factors that go into it. Um, now, are alimony checks and child support checks sent separately? So, you know, like this is alimony, this is child support, or is it just here to be one big check? Should be done separate so that the paying person has evidence of making those payments. And particularly if they're paying alimony, you need to show proof of that when you're filing your tax returns. Right. So that you get the appropriate credit and so the person who's receiving it pays the appropriate taxes. Okay. I'm sure that some people don't, don't do that. Um, if they were your accountant yeah. as well. <laughs> if they were my client, I would tell them it's better, even though it's two checks and maybe a pain mm -hmm. in the butt to write two, it's better, it's yeah. safer, it's cleaner. So if there's any issue, it's two separate checks, you know what you sent and it's there's no question. Okay. Gordon, any questions about child support or alimony? Uh, not at this time. Uh, you just, look. You look like you just learned so much. I did. Uh, <laughs> I wish the audience could see your face. 
again, you know, the thing I've learned in being a therapist is what I don't know. Yeah. And having colleagues around me, having physicians and having psychiatrists mm-hmm. and having lawyers and, and just related professionals that I can call on all the time and, and give to my clients, uh, it, it's one of the best parts of the job is just learning. So, no, I'm absolutely getting an education uh, because I do see clients and they're like, well, I'm really mad and, you know, I might want to do something about this. And, you know, I want to be able to have a, give them a clear picture. Well, if you go in front of a judge, mm-hmm. you may be at the whim of, you know, how his Cheerios were this morning. <laughs> it, it's or, true. Or did he or she have a, a fight with his or her spouse it's or partner? True. It's true. And the other thing, I think, in terms of the financial devastation, what people don't realize is they think, oh, my spouse is getting all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But what they forget is you start with this limited pot of money. Mm-hmm. And then when you take away from that limited pot, now you're paying what takes away from that limited pot, excuse me, is you're now paying two rents or two mortgages, right. two electric bills, right. two gas bills, two water bills. You have to mm-hmm. separate your car insurance, which which may cause your car insurance to rise. Oh, yeah. And so cell phone. Cell phone, you have to untangle your cell phone plan. <laughs> you know, angling over here. Internet. And yeah. so all those things that we usually just pay one, now you're paying two. And so people don't realize that that's where a lot of money goes mm-hmm. as well. And the person, just because one person moves out of the household doesn't mean that their electric bill drops all that much right? or their water bill drops all that much. Oh, my parents' water bill hasn't changed since they moved there like 15 years ago, even when I'm there, even when they have guests, it stays the same. It's like, yeah. doesn't matter how many people are in the house. Well, and here's the dynamic. Uh, usually, or I wouldn't say usually, but frequently in a, in a couple, one of them is the CFO, the chief financial mm-hmm. officer that knows all the accounts and knows how to pay the bills and knows yeah. uh, the credit card numbers and knows where all the money flows. Yeah. And the other person may not. That's my dad that, that may not. He's like, I can never divorce your mom because I wouldn't know where anything is. <laughs> well, that would be my point is that yeah. if there's a separation, then there's a, a competency gap that the partner that wasn't doing the, the bills now has to get on the mm-hmm. stick and, and really be able to right. deal with this thing that their partner was taking care of. Mm-hmm. Learn how to do it. Yeah. I could see that being correctly. a barrier. Like you're, like you're, it's frustrating. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I, I can't, I, I don't want to do this. Even if all other factors were in the favor, it's like, just to be I might have terrified. To get a, I have to get a job now if I haven't had one. Yeah, I have to learn how to pay the bills, like where to go. It's very frustrating for couples that I work with who have decided divorce and are working what I call through divorce therapy. It's kind of a new term that I think a lot of us have created. And that's, we want to make this amicable. So we're going to do this together. We're not like at each other's throats, but it's like learning. What did you do? What did you do? How do I do that? Um, and it, it's, it's a process. So definitely well, it breeds a lot of mistrust yeah. because if you're the person who doesn't know where the passwords are and mm-hmm. doesn't know how to pay the bills, then you say, well, what if there's something else out there? You know, what, what if, you know, what if I don't know about this account or that account? I don't know how to do this. And then that starts this sort of bigger ball rolling mm-hmm. of just mistrust. Well, sure. It's yeah. like, show oh, me yeah. your phone times a million. Right. 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 Exactly. Um, and what about this bill? What about that bill? What do you mean you auto pay that one? It, it just, it causes all these issues that it mm-hmm. doesn't need to cause. Yeah. And so when they come to me, it's really tough mm-hmm. because if you're the money spouse mm-hmm. who knows all this information, um, 
you know, you get frustrated because the other person doesn't trust you. Yeah. And if you're the person who doesn't know all the information, you just feel like you're in this black hole and can't I don't see know anything. what. I, I have no control. I don't know right. what to do. That's yeah. yeah. So that kind of is jumping over to uh, uh, managing emotions and communication. But before we get there, I want to jump back to um, you're also a mediator. Yes. And I know a lot of a lot of people don't know what mediation is and what's the difference between mediation versus divorce. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, and I want to, so I'm a mediator. I'm a lawyer first. Okay. okay? I, I became a lawyer and I'm also a mediator. And so I had to do a hundred hours of training to become a mediator. Okay. Um, in Georgia, they allow mediators um, who are not necessarily lawyers. Okay. I'm both. Right. Um, but I can't do both for one person. Okay. Good to know. So if you came to me as your lawyer, I could be your lawyer. Or okay. if you came to me as your mediator, I could be your mediator. But I can't do both. Okay. And so if someone says that they can do both, they can't. Run. <laughs> Red flag number one. They cannot be your attorney and your mediator at the same time. Run. Right. Okay. Um, that's, that's sort of rule number one. Like I cannot be your therapist and your friend. So that's right. Yes, that's right. Dual relationship. Yes. You can't do it. So why can't you do it? Just um, when you're, or? yes. And when you're someone's lawyer, you're that person's advocate okay. and I'm advocating for you. I'm trying to get you the best settlement I can. I'm trying to get mm-hmm. you the best custody agreement I can. I'm trying to get you the best child support amount, those okay. types of things. Right. When I'm a mediator, I'm a neutral. Oh, I have no interest. I'm Switzerland. I have no interest in what you want. I have no interest in what the other person wants. Uh My job is to try to help you all come to an agreement that is palatable for you. I'm not allowed as a mediator. I'm not allowed to give legal advice. I'm not allowed to advise you and say, oh, I think you should take this deal Mm -hmm. or anything like that. I can talk about my experiences and that's where it's beneficial that I'm a lawyer who's been doing this for 14 years. I can say, well, in my experience, I've never seen someone get a million dollars a month in alimony when the other person makes $5,000 a month. That's my experience. I can give that because that's not legal advice. Um, But I can't tell you well, you should fill out your child support worksheet this way Mm -hmm. because if you put this number in, it's going to give you more. So a mediator um, is typically hired at some point during the process, whether it's before somebody files or after somebody files, um, to help the parties come to a resolution. Um, A lawyer is to give someone legal advice. Um, And I know... I know in our previous conversations, mm-hmm. you've asked me, you know, why do you need a lawyer? Right. And why can't I just go to a mediator? Well, as I said, a mediator can't give you legal advice. Okay. So a mediator may see something that you're totally missing. Right. They, a mediator may see that there's a $100,000 account out there that husband has no idea about. Oh, wow. But the mediator cannot tell husband about it. Oh. Can't give him legal advice wow. to say, hey, husband. You should ask about this $100,000 account. Can't do it. Okay. And so that's where a lawyer comes in and a lawyer can give you that advice. And one of, one of the, um, I know you've heard this before, but one of the um, analogies that I give mm-hmm. is if I fell down and broke my arm, right. I could probably figure out that it's broken. Probably. And might be some pain, might be some, some, some blood, something. Yeah. I'm like, oh shoot, my arm's broken. Well, <laughs> If I 
go to the doctor, they're just going to wrap it and they're going to tell me not to use it for a few weeks, right? So I'm going to wrap it. I'm not going to use it for a few weeks. Then it'll be fine. Right. Well, it might be. Right. It might be. Okay. Um, I take the bandage off and, oh, shoot, it's fine. Great. Yeah. But it might not be. I, it might have healed improperly. There might be an infection. It might yeah. be that it's now, like, the bones are fused <laughs> badly. And then I have to go to a doctor, and the doctor says, you know, we've got to have surgery. We've got to break her. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. And then the recovery is longer. It costs more. It's just yeah. a disaster. And that's sort of the same analogy that I used for, used for a divorce lawyer is that it might be okay if you do it. But you don't know. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of things you can't undo. Okay. Um, so once you agree to some things, you might not be able to undo them. So it's better to go to a lawyer and invest the money now so that okay. you can protect your future. You don't want to give up retirement assets. You don't want to give up pension assets. You don't want to give up access to Social Security or access to health care. You don't want to give up child support. You don't want to give up these things and not know about them. So it's better to go to a lawyer and invest that money and do it right the first time than try to fix it on the back like end. Like that fixing it is a lot more expensive than doing it right the first time. It is. It sounds like knowledge is power, doesn't it? Boy? It does. <laughs> and it also reminds me of uh, Rumsfeld unknown unknowns. <laughs> there might be a thing that not only do you not know it, but you don't even know that you don't know it. Wow, that's something to think about, right, everyone? So... What is this process for divorce? Because I've heard people do it so many different ways. Is there a way to start this besides I call an attorney and say I want to get divorced? Um, one question that's always come up in, in my practice or with people I know is who files first and why does it matter if you file first? Well, we, let me let me start with that question okay. first and then go back to the process. Okay. Don't let me forget. Well, so, <laughs> so who files first? Mm -hmm. It truthfully really doesn't matter anymore. Okay. I mean, some people, in my opinion, mm -hmm. to some people, they want to file because they're like, shoot, you know, she cheated on me. I'm going <laughs> to file for divorce. I'm going to tell, you know, I'm going to tell everybody that she cheated on me. Some people just say, well, you know, do you want to file or am I going to file? Who's yeah. going to file? The way it really comes down to is some people out of pride, don't right. want to be the person who is filed against. They okay. want to be the person who files. Conversely, some people say, I don't believe in divorce. I'm not going to file. If you want to divorce me, um, you better bring yourself right. down there and you need to file it. The way it comes into play is if you were to have a trial, mm -hmm. the person who files is the plaintiff or the petitioner. Right. And that person gets to speak first at the um, trial and that person gets to speak last. At the trial. Gotcha. And so some people like that edge. Um, the overwhelming majority of cases do not go to trial and do not have, you know, these long drawn out yeah. hearings. But as the petitioner, right. the person who files, you have, you have the right to go first like and to go last. Football game. Yes. The way the coin gets yes. to choose what they want to do first. Right. 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 And but in, so. In the case where it does not go to trial. Uh, does filing first confer any advantage, or is it just a, a wash? It's really just a wash. Okay. okay this, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, our court is very black and white, what Gordon and I would call black and white, kind of, it's this way or that way. And and, the, and I don't like that when we're talking about divorce, is it's like there's there's a defendant, there's a plaintiff. And sometimes there's not in a divorce. It just means this relationship didn't work, or it's come to its end. It's gone through its journey, and it's ending, and it doesn't mean you did wrong or I did wrong. It just means it's 
it's ending. And so I, I think that confuses a lot of people of, oh, I have to be the plaintiff. I have to be the defendant. That means, you know, I did something wrong, so I have to defend myself. And it just sets this huge, I think, blaming type situation that isn't always true. Yeah. Most courts now are calling them petitioner and respondent. To take that away. Good. Thank you, the courts. I appreciate that. (laughs) To take that away because that does, those words sort of just have negative vibes and negative connotations, and and people get antsy about that. And I understand it. Um, But particularly in the metro courts, metro Mm -hmm. um, counties, Mm -hmm. um, it's really been petitioner and respondent. Okay. Um, So to go back to your question of how do we start this? Yeah. Um, sometimes people call and say, I think I want to get a divorce. I want to talk to you and I'll talk to him. Um, there are a lot of people who I think you, you face this as well. When people come in and say, I want therapy, you can sort of tell they're not ready. Right. (laughs) They're not ready to work with you yet. Um, they say they want the therapy, but they're really not ready to put the work in. I want symptom management is really what I want. I want to feel better with this anxiety or depression that I have. Yeah. Right. Tell me that I'm okay, but they're not ready to put in the work. Yeah. Yeah. And that's similar to people who come to us. A lot of people come to us and say, I want a divorce. And I say, okay, well, why don't you tell me about it? And we talk to them and we can tell there are some folks who are ready. Yeah. And there are a lot of folks who aren't. Mm -hmm. And the folks who aren't we sort of send them away and oh. say, you're not ready. Um, now if they come back and insist that we're going to, we're going <laughs> right. to work with them. But like, no. but we there, I personally tell a lot of people, I can tell that you're not ready. I, I can tell that you're upset. Um, but I don't know that you're upset to the point that you really want to divorce this person. I can see right. how conflicted you are. And that's when I, I really push on them. I should mm-hmm. talk to a therapist. I know someone who can help you. I know someone like Gordon, who works with men who could really be a good resource for you. I know someone like Courtney, you know, who works with couples in relationships. She could really be a good um, asset for you and just see if that'll work for people. But some people come to us and say, I'm ready. And um, sometimes what we do is file for divorce sort of immediately because of circumstances. Um, And sometimes we wait and try to work things out with couples, sort of like your divorce therapy that you were talking about. And try to work it out either with the person who's our client or that client talks to um, his or her spouse. And we try to sort of work things out amicably before mm-hmm. even filing. Okay. Um, in fact, someone I was talking to today, um, you know, he's still trying to work things out with his spouse. And they're talking mm-hmm. about parenting time. They're talking about what they're going to do with the house and the assets. They're talking about... Um, you know, what they're going to do with their retirement accounts. And nothing's been filed yet. Okay. They know they want to get divorced. Right. But they want to try to do this as amicably as possible. So we're okay. doing a lot of work behind the scenes before anything's even filed. Huh. So once you file, is it possible to unfile? Is sure. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, so if, I, if I, you know, were, if Gordon and his lovely wife, who I haven't met, but I've heard so much about her, decide they wanted to divorce and then decide, oh, no, we don't. But the papers are have already been filed. They can withdraw those? Correct. Dismiss. It's called a dismissal. Dismissal without prejudice. And you can do that whenever you want up until, up until they issue the final judgment decree of divorce, which is the document that actually divorces you. Um, then it's sort of hard. You're divorced. So you can't can't remarry the divorce. That would make sense. Yeah. 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 That would make sense. But it's good to know that you can essentially, you know, hit the undo button right up until the decree hits. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
I can tell you that usually once people have filed, it is rare for people to dismiss. Right. Um, partly because once they get to that point, things are usually pretty well, that ship has sailed. Mm -hmm. Well, you've done your due diligence. You know, you took the emotional temperature. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of noting that you're not acting as a therapist, but you're definitely keying in on the emotional state of your potential client. We have to. Yeah. Um, because I tell a lot of clients, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. And a lot of clients don't realize how much work, sort of like when they come to you for therapy, mm -hmm. it's a lot of work. Yeah. Right. It's not just the therapist talking to them, it's them coming up with a plan and figuring mm -hmm. out how to implement that plan. It's the same is true for divorce. Okay. I mean, what are we going to do with kids? What are we going to do with the house? What are we going to do with the retirement accounts? What are we going to do with the pets? I mean, people are like, oh, shoot. <laughs> That's are very important. Yeah. Right. And they don't realize, like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize how many things we have to think about. Yeah. And so that's something where that's why we take their emotional temperature, because are they ready to go mm -hmm. through this whole process? And some of them aren't yet. They don't have either the mental bandwidth or yeah. the emotional support and ability to do it. And it sounds like a lot of people begin the process w with what I call reaction. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a reaction versus a response. And the reaction typically comes from more of an impulsive mm -hmm. uh, part of our emotions versus a response. I've thought about this. I'm clear-headed. I'm level-headed. I, I get the decision I'm making. So that's what I'm hearing a lot is those clients who aren't ready may be more reactionary versus responding to a situation. And that's why I ask, why are you here? What, what brought you here? Yeah. And if somebody says, oh, we got into a fight last night and mm -hmm. that was just the last straw. To me, that person... Mm -hmm. We need to take some time to think about this. ...isn't ready. Yeah. If someone says, we've been in therapy for the last four years, mm -hmm. you know, we've done this, we've done that, we've done, you know, and lists all these things and, you know, we've talked about it and then I'm like, okay, you yeah. sound more ready. So if a couple decides that, yes, we're going to go ahead and file, go through this process, what about communication and emotions? You know, I hear so many different things in terms of communication, I, and I'm sure it's case by case. Um, is it advisable to communicate with your partner? Is it not? What can we communicate about? I mean, what if we're still living in the same house? Because you brought up that, you know, all of a sudden you go from one and shared bills to two people and, and now two different sets of bills, that's expensive for some people, especially if you if you have a house. Some people can't afford to pay a mortgage and pay rent. That's right. So you're living in this house with a person that you're now separating from right. and possibly not having it very amicable. What do we communicate and when and when not? <laughs> yeah. And not only not only is it expensive, but I think again we talked about mm -hmm. the emotional yeah. is that one of the partners may not have the life skills to just set up a household. Right. You know, and Courtney and I have experienced that, you know, yeah. with our mutual clients. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's tough. Um, you know, communication is probably the downfall of a lot of relationships. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't get better when they're going through a divorce, right? No, it is not. It tends to get worse. I will say and that. so what I tell clients is, look, you're paying to talk to me. So if there are things that you can resolve with your spouse, right. let's try to do that. Yeah. But any communication with your spouse, you need to think about in terms of who's going to read this. 
You need to think that a judge is going to read this. Okay. Potentially a therapist, if a therapist is appointed, it's going to read this. Um, a custody evaluator could read this. Okay. Guardian ad litem could read this. Another lawyer is going to read this. I'm going to read this. Would you want these things that you're saying to be read by all these people and to be known by all these people and to be made an exhibit and entered into court so that other people can see it? Gordon and I came up with um, a few tips on communication. And one that we, we said is don't, you know, in terms of social media, which is another you know topic, is do you, if you post this on social media, it is now on the Internet. It is out there. Anyone can see it. Just because your your account is private, if you tag someone or they share it, then other people can see it, and it's out there. Or even more than that, uh, <coughs> anybody can screenshot their phone, yeah. screenshot and then their send PC, it to someone else, and then send it as a graphic and it says, "Look yeah. at look at what my so and so ex or, or my so and so spouse just did." Right. And so that you know, who do I want to see this or not see it is a very good. You know, tip and question to ask yourself because if you're listing a lot of people, you probably don't need to put it, you know, out there on social media or say it to someone else that could get back to someone. Put it in a journal, share it with your therapist, put it with a confidant, someone that you really trust. <laughs> and that's that's what's unfortunate is that social media can be really great, yeah, but for or really bad <laughs> for divorce cases or any cases mm-hmm. you know that I deal with. Um, it is. It can be so detrimental because I've seen those screenshots mm-hmm. that you're talking about. I've seen the pic, the drunken pictures where somebody's oh laying gosh. there and we're alleging that this person's an alcoholic and now I've got the picture to prove <laughs> it. You know, it just, yeah. I, I tell folks, pretend like social media doesn't exist. Right. Don't tweet. Don't <laughs> post. Just get rid of it for this time. <laughs> Do. Because you post something that's innocuous like, um you know, partying all night. And what you meant was I was up all night because my kid was up all night throwing up and they take that totally out of context or somebody tags you in something. So Mm -hmm. I tell my clients, don't post, don't tweet, don't Twitter, don't whatever it is, you know, Instagram, don't do any of those things and tell your friends and your family not to tag you in anything. Mm -hmm. It's for a short period of time. If you want to resume it later, great. Not now, because right. it can be evidence used against you. And that, I mean, that's really smart, you know, because again, another point that I think we came up with is some couples, a lot of couples have mutual friends oh. and, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of awkward, you know, in any ways having, okay, my two friends who I both like are now separating. What do I do? How do I support both of them? And in the end, I guess a lot of people end up kind of, I don't say choosing a side, but, you know, someone gets someone in this divorce. But also, if you're tagging them in social media, that may be awkward for them of, oh, crap, well, now so-and-so is going to see this, and I didn't want that, and, and it looks bad, like I'm I'm choosing her side over his or, you know, whoever. So I just always say, you know, ask someone first, you know, can I tag this? Are you cool? They say no, respect that. Just don't even get on there, as Brooke is saying. Gordon, any? Uh, I, I think that, you know, that's a very conservative position, and I think it's really good, you know, uh, we undervalue the the phone call mm-hmm. because unless they're actually running a recording, right. you can have a conversation. It's in real time. You get to hear the mm-hmm. the tonality of the conversation, mm-hmm. and when you hang up, it's probably done and done. It's it's hearsay. I'm not 
Well, I you saying the recording, I do tell my clients to act as if every phone call is being recorded. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and to not say things that they would not want to be heard on a recording that is played in front of a judge. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... You know, one thing that I like about having things in writing, and I agree with you, hearing someone talk mm-hmm. and, and hearing the way they present the information mm-hmm. is sometimes very important. Yes. Yeah. But having something in writing, either via text or email, um, is something I can use as a lawyer later. So if mm-hmm. somebody just totally changes their mind, I can say, but here you said it was okay, and now you're saying it's not. So I agree with you. If the parties are amicable, then they can have a phone call. Just mm-hmm. act like it's being recorded. Yeah. Um, but I like things to be in writing just because as a it's lawyer. A yeah. And and yeah. my job is to think of your worst case scenario. Right. <laughs> that's that's what I do for a living, right? Yeah. And so then in addition to thinking about the worst case scenario, I try to think of, well, how can I prove what I'm trying to say? Right. Right. Yeah, the other advantage of writing is that it makes you slow down. Right. Non-reactive. Non-reactive. I can say a thing in anger, but Mm -hmm. by the time I get done typing it and looking at it on the screen, Mm -hmm. uh, that's probably not my best move. I even tell clients, don't even type. Get a notebook, write it down. Because one, you're going to see where you get emotional and your handwriting is going to show it. And after you, you, you you also don't have that that stimulation from the computer screen that we get our brain, it can mess our brain up. You know, it's, it, it makes you do something and you can go back and read it and see where you're most emotional because your handwriting will change and really see what we were going through and even take that to, you know, your therapist to talk about what was going on. And for a lot of people after that writing, they feel calmer. They really mm-hmm. do. They've left that reactive state. They're a little bit more level headed. Now I can see what is it I really need in this moment or what else I trying to communicate and how can I communicate that in a more positive, less blaming way? Because, Gordon, what happens when we blame? The other person becomes... Reactive back. Yep, or defensive. Or defensive. Yeah. And we don't want that. That's not good communication. Right, we get have... in the cycles of yeah. mm-hmm. where I attack and you attack mm-hmm. back, or I attack and you withdraw. Yeah, not and... productive. <laughs> right, yeah. There's entire schools of yeah. relationship therapy based on just those patterns right. of interaction. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, what I'm getting is, you know, I'm in, you know, Courtney and I are in in the profession of Mm -hmm. expressiveness and get it out there. And I think in a safe space, that's Mm -hmm. awesome. What you're reminding me of is it's got to stay in the safe space. As soon as it leaves, uh, you know, client, client attorney privilege or client counselor privilege, Mm -hmm. uh, bad stuff can happen. It can. And, and so I would say, you know, you were saying you type it and you read it. Mm-hmm. Don't press send. Just yes. like, so leave it there for put it an in hour. Document. <laughs> leave it there for an hour and then come back and press send. If yeah. it's something that's really an emotional topic, right. you know, if it's, yes, I'll pick up the kids at two o'clock, fine, right. whatever, press send. But if it's something that's clearly going to evoke an emotion or is evoking an emotion out of you or might evoke an emotion out of your spouse, hold on to it. Right. Yeah. That's why I like to write it. You can't press it. Right. Then you have to actually go and type it. And by then, hopefully you're out of that reactive state and more responsive. Great suggestion. And it comes across in a more in a better way. Yeah. Anything to slow it down. There's there's one thing I heard about of a person in a in a really tough spot mm-hmm. and they wrote in you know on a screen, but they wrote and then they zipped it and they enc- and they encrypted it with a <laughs> password and they put oh my it gosh. away. And oh, so that's it's, smart. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is, is 
take again yeah. firewalling it as hard as you can. <laughs> You know, and ultimately they looked at it later and just deleted it. I guess it's just stupid. Well, no, I mean, it, right. Well, again, you know, that person at time X right. is like, that's how I feel. And that's what I feel like I got to do. But they had right. the foresight to say, let me write that down. Let me let it cool. And then they look at it in the, in the cold light of dawn and they're like, hmm, right. I can look at this. I can see this differently now. So before we move into, I'll let you, Gordon, talk to Brooke about how to, to find an attorney. Brooke, you mentioned something that I want to hit on, because Gordon, I'm glad that you brought up privilege um, between mm-hmm. um, client and, and attorney, and also in the state of Georgia, licensed, um, I will clarify that, licensed clinicians, fully licensed clinicians, they have an L only in front of their credentials, have privilege with clients, um, associate level, so there's an L and an A, or student uh, therapists do not right now have privilege. But Brooke, you mentioned, you know, uh, if a therapist is appointed, I know that child custody evaluators can be appointed, um, guardian ad litems can be appointed. Why would a therapist be appointed and how is privilege impact? Because I don't want our listeners to think, oh my God, I can't share with my therapist what I want to talk about. Because yes, you can, because we do have privilege and that typically is protected when there is legal proceedings like divorce. Sure. And I probably use the word therapist more loosely than y'all would, but a court can appoint a um, a psychologist or a psychiatrist to do an evaluation or to do um, a psychological evaluation of someone or to do a custody evaluation of some of of parties. And there is privilege sort of there, not really actually now that I say that. Um, because when they're court appointed, they're not appointed to be a therapist per se or a psychologist or a psychiatrist per se. They're Switzerland. <laughs> yes, they're yeah. they're meant to be doing an evaluation. Yeah. So by saying a therapist, I really meant a psychologist or a psychiatrist who's been okay. appointed by the court to do a psych evaluation. To do an evaluation of some sort. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes the court will appoint somebody to do an evaluation of the children or an mm-hmm. evaluation of the parents or an evaluation of all. Right. One parent, sometimes someone is appointed to do an evaluation based for substance abuse or just a personality disorder. The, all those types of people can be appointed by the court, not necessarily a therapist to like you and Gordon. And Correct. Right. Um, there, I actually just had a case where a, a um, psychologist was appointed to be the um, co-parent coordinator oh. counselor for the parents. Oh, okay. Um, but again, I don't think privilege applies to that person because that person can talk to the guardian. And also I want people to keep in mind what I tell my clients is when there's two people in my office, I still have privilege with each each of them, but what they do when they leave here, I can't control. So I have privilege though, if they leave this room and go and talk to someone, then that privilege has been breached by them, not me. So just kind of keep in mind that when there's more than two people in a therapy office, privilege does change a little bit. And I tell my clients the same thing. A lot of them say, well, I want to bring my mom or I want to bring my sister. I want to bring my, you know, brother because this person helps me with this or that or the other thing. I say, look, you know, you and I talking together, we can talk about anything under Mm -hmm. the sun and nobody can ask me to testify about it. Um, you know, but, and nobody can ask you to testify about it. But as soon as you bring somebody else into that room with us, that breaks the confidentiality. Right. And therefore that person can be asked what was said in that meeting. Right. 
And I understand even when you share my emails, if I send you an email saying these are the six things we need to do in your case, if you share that email, even if that email only went to my client, if they share that email, that breaks the confidentiality. So clients need to be really careful. That's where the phone call would be good. (laughs) Clients need to be really careful about that part of it. It's Courtney, and I would like to thank Good Clean Love Lubricants for providing my clients and podcast listeners with samples of both Almost Naked Personal Lubricant and their Biomatch Restore Personal Lubricant. Biomatch Restore is formulated to mimic the natural pH levels of the vagina and helps reduce the risk of bacterial vaginosis. Ladies, if BV has caused havoc in your life, contact Courtney via Twitter handle at CJeterLMFT to find out how you can get a free sample limited to the first three messages. Courtney's clients, ask about these samples at your next session. Well, one thing that uh, I wanted to reinforce was that one of the things we all share, the three of us in this room, is the trait of communicating very crisply who we represent and how far we can go. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, Courtney, when you're working with a couple, you're representing the relationship. So right. not one, not him or her or right. him or him or her or her, the relationship. When yeah. I work as a, with an individual, I am that person's bulldog. I want mm-hmm. the best for them. Yeah. When you work as an attorney, uh, you, you are the bulldog for that client. And when you're a mediator, you're Switzerland. Right. And a, a, a real professional will tell you that and make you understand that before you go forward. Right. 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 And I can only represent one person I can't represent the relationship. I can't represent the parties because their relationships are essentially diverging if they're getting divorced. Yeah, it's a big conflict right there. Um, You want the best for both of them, which is going to be hard. Right, and that's why the mediator is different in that the mediator doesn't represent either one of them. As a divorce lawyer, I'd only represent one of them. Um, And I did want to mention, um, and I should have mentioned in the beginning, I'm sorry I didn't, but... My law firm, we, we, we've been talking about divorce and we do divorce, um, but we also represent folks who, this, this information also applies to folks who are not married, okay. who are, um, who have children out of wedlock okay. and are filing an action either for legitimation or paternity and are trying to work with the, the parent of the other child. Okay. Um, so these, these situations also, uh, this information also applies to that. Um, because you're, you're, you know, I either represent the mom or the dad or one parent or the other parent. Cause now obviously we have a lot of same sex parents. Yeah. Um, so one side or the other, I can't represent both. Okay. So I wanted to ask, uh, very specifically, cause let's say that there is a woman or there is a man and they have gone to therapy and they have tried to work it out with their partner and it's just not working. And in the cold light of dawn, they they think I might need a mediator or I might need a lawyer, a divorce lawyer, because I think this is done. How would they go about picking uh, somebody that's quality? Um, that's a great question. I think some of it is you need to sort of like a therapist. You need to meet with that person, mm-hmm. and you're going to get a feel for that person. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you like that person and whether you think that person is competent and whether you think that person can handle your case and whether you think that you can have a relationship with that person, because ultimately you are going to be sharing very intimate details with that person. Right. And so you have to be comfortable with that lawyer. Um, I always want people to come in and meet me. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not like how I look. They may not like how I dress. They may mm-hmm. not like how I talk and that's okay. Yeah. I can give them the names of, you know, five other attorneys that they may like. And just like they may not like 
your advice or your advice, Courtney, you know, you need to find someone that you can work yeah. with. So number one is just getting a feel from that person. Does that person seem educated? <laughs> like they know what they're talking right, about. Check. Right. Obviously looking at that person's credentials, where that person went to school, you know, what that person's experience is. If that person says on their website, I do DUI law, mm -hmm. you probably shouldn't be going to them for family law. Right. I mean, yes, we're all lawyers, but it's different. Just when like you go to your cardiologist if you had a broken bone. Correct. If you and specialize in everything, you specialize in nothing. Nothing. So, um, you know, just like you have a specific niche and you have a specific mm -hmm. niche, you know, th that's what you need to look at. For somebody to say, well, I I'm just going to go to my the personal injury lawyer I know. I look at them and say, well, then you're going to get a personal injury result. Because right. that person that person may be a great personal injury lawyer, but that personal injury lawyer may not know about family law. Just like I wouldn't practice fam uh, uh, personal injury law. Somebody comes to me and says, hey, can you do a will for me? Mm -hmm. Probably could figure it out <laughs> because I'm relatively intelligent. But I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I wouldn't do it. I hired someone to do my will. I hired someone to draft real estate documents right. for me. That's that's what I do because I don't know it. So my first thing would say, go in and meet with that person. Um, my second thing would say, check out their, their qualifications. Um, and although it's difficult, certainly ask around to people that you trust, whether it's your therapist, your doctor, your um neighbor, your friend, whomever, coworker. coworker, but keep in mind, and I know this is something Courtney and I have talked about, and I'm sure this is something y'all have to deal with in therapy. Um, a lot of people say, well, my best friend, when she got divorced, da da da, this happened. Mm -hmm. Well, the lawyer that worked well with your best friend may not work well with you. Same with therapists. Same with therapists. I tell them when, when clients refer, you know, their friends to me, I go, I'm glad that they felt comfortable you know, doing that and they're happy enough with their referral, but just keep in mind, we may have a different relationship and I want us to make sure that this is good for both of us. Right. Yeah. And that's exactly true for lawyers. And what happens in one divorce situation or one um, situation that I'm representing someone may not be good for someone else. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's important. Yeah. Um, you know, people, unfortunately or fortunately, they look on the internet and say, well, the internet told me blah, 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 blah about the law. <laughs> Like, the internet says a lot of things. Right. Like, yeah. It also said we all have cancer. Right. Like, exactly. So you have to sort of be careful of what the internet says to you. So what are, before we wrap up, what are three questions that you would suggest someone take with them when they are consulting with an attorney to ask, to determine whether or not they want to choose this person or how to choose? Three questions that would be really good to ask. I would try to ask about the general philosophy because mm -hmm. some lawyers are, I want to go to court. I want to litigate the ish out of your face <laughs> and all I want to do is fight. And that's okay. my mantra, mm -hmm. right? Um, if that's the person you want, then great. But that right. may not be the person you want. So sort of ask about their style and their, um, how do they generally try to resolve their cases? Do they, you a therapist. Right. right. Do you yeah. do you believe in mediation? You know, right. those sort of types of how do you resolve your cases, right? Okay. You also obviously want to ask about you know, money. Like, how do you charge me for this? How does right. this happen? Who works on my case? Okay. Who, you know, logistically, how does this work? Um, when I talk to you, how do you charge me for that? How much do you cost? Okay. Those types of things. And... Um, I would also ask, like, what are you looking for from me as a client? What are you okay. looking for? 
what what do I do to make things easier? Because me as a lawyer, um, I I try to get my clients obviously involved in the process as much as possible. Right. Um, one that saves them money, and two mm-hmm. that gives them ownership over the process, which they need. Right. Um, and they know their case, right? Mm-hmm. They know they know the facts of their situation, so being involved is helpful to them. Um, but if the lawyer says oh, nothing, you just sit back and enjoy the ride. Right. I mean, yeah. That would be a huge red flag to me. Right, if the client comes to you and says, just fix this. Right, like, that's no, not no that's not the client you want. That's not the client that I want. So having that discussion and sort of seeing and saying to the client, look, I need you to take some ownership of this. Like, you're going to have to do work. Yeah. If the client says, well, I'm not doing anything, then that might not be the right client for me. Yeah. But I think sort of figuring out how that relationship would work, you know, how would we communicate? Right. Um, how often would we communicate? Would you give me information about my case? How would I get that information from you? How would we set up a time to talk? Just sort of knowing how that relationship would work so that you know what your expectations are and what the expectations are of you. Okay, awesome. Uh, But I'm just, again, I'm blown away that you've given me such uh, uh, additional view. Because, again, I I work with couples, or I, I work with individuals mostly, occasionally couples, where they're like, well, we're thinking of separating, but... You know, to see what happens, you know, in front of you, you know, and how you assess, you know, that's the word we would use is assess uh, the clients and, and, and who's ready and who's not. And, you know, honestly, I think you said, well, most people don't fail. And I think at least your people probably don't fail because you've already vetted them and said, this is a person that's going to take it to the end because they're ready as opposed to bail, which they could do at any moment. I would hate for somebody to come to me and spend money because lawyers are not cheap and I would hate for someone to come and spend money and then decide that they're wanting to get back together or that their marriage was salvageable because as I said I believe in marriage therapy is cheaper than a lawyer I'm just saying I want to try that first (laughs) I I do I I really believe that it's you know you've got to make every effort and um, whatever effort you can make to try to save it and granted there's some situations where you can't you know if somebody tried to Murder you or something. Right, that totally. Like, okay, I get. Like, yeah. right. we're not going to say that. Okay, right. But I'm sure you can do therapy yeah. around that either. And that's another point is that you know that that reactivity that you're talking about, Courtney, mm-hmm. or the all or nothing thinking. When there's a bad, bad fight, absolutely. Yeah. You know, they sit, your brain erases. Oh my gosh, we had 15 years of awesome sauce, <laughs> and we could have another 15 if we would right. just get through this bad bump. Yeah. Yeah. Hole that sure. we're in. Yeah. Sure. Um, and that's what's tough. It's tough to know when to throw in the towel. And so if I can push people towards resolution of their marriage and, and so they can stay together, you know, I'd, I'd like to do that because, you know, it's tough out there. I mean, marriage is tough. Marriage is so tough. No, no one said it was easy. Like, like children. No one said having children was easy. But it can be so rewarding. Yeah. And it's work. And a lot of people, just like everything else, people don't want to put in the work. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Well, Brooke, thank you so much for stopping by. I really You're do welcome. appreciate it. I know I've enjoyed our conversations and figured our listeners always had questions and would enjoy this as well. Um, and I know that they can find you if they ever need to contact you for any reason at uh, ksfamilylaw.com. Yes. Your new home. Uh, and Gordon, where can folks find you or men find you if they feel like you'd be a good fit for them for individual well, the easiest, therapy? The easiest way to find out about me is just go to my name. It's Gordon Shippy. Dot com. That last name is, well, let me give you the first name because there's more than one way to spell Gordon. I'm there is, that. I guess yeah. so, yeah. So it's G-O-R-D-O-N, and my last name is Shippy, S-H-I-P-P-Y. 
P-P-E-Y.com. If you put that in to your browser, uh, I will pop right up. And you've got my phone and my email, and I would love to talk with you. All right. And don't forget, listeners, um, check us out on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, also, check out the new website. We've added an affiliate and resources page so you can find products that I trust in bed. Uh, you can also get some discount codes there as well. So check those out. It'll also support our podcast. Uh, and we enjoyed having you guys. And thank you again. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us on. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Troy, did you know that the Let's Talk Sex podcast is not a replacement for your own medical doctor or mental health professional? Now you tell me. Let's Talk Sex is here to educate you, Troy. It's also here to give you information, but we cannot diagnose or treat you through our podcast. Now, what's the number to 911 again? 911. Got it. Perfect.